Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, no NBA playoffs last night, but plenty of interesting basketball as Team USA got beat in another Olympic tune-up, this time by Australia. And yes, Joe Ingles was right in the middle of everything, right from the get-go. Getting right into Kevin Durant's face, fouling him, yakking at him, then somehow getting him to crack a smile. I gotta ask Joe what that was all about. And then Ingles hit three quick three-pointers, and it was on. And the USA responded, took the lead after the first quarter, stretched the league out at halftime, but the second half was all Australia. They took the lead in the third quarter, traded hoops through the fourth, and at the end of the game, with a chance to get back in it, down a couple possessions, Durant missed a three, then Lillard missed a three on another possession, and then uh, Tatum missed a three at corner three, airballed it. Uh, The U.S. could not hit shots. The U.S. got dominated in the last couple minutes. They lose 91-83 to Australia, who's a legit metal threat. Nigeria was a massive upset but could be written off as a fluke oh it's one game it's okay well it's not one game now gonna work towards a trend here if you're not careful usa's got to play argentina they got another game with australia coming up and spain so there are more tune-ups in las vegas and they're still missing three guys off the team because the nba finals supposed to get booker uh, they're going to get uh, chris middleton they're going to get drew holiday so it's not like they have the whole team but they're 0-2. And we can talk around in circles all we want, but Olympic basketball might get a little uncomfortable for the U.S. this time. We'll see how that works. Still a ways to go. More tune-up games to go. Three guys coming in from the finals, but <laughs> it's off to a bad start. All right, after the game, Brian Gorgian, the head coach, and Joe Ingles in a tag team post-game press conference after Australia beats the United States in Vegas 91-83. to Here they are. Obviously happy with the win to, to start off um, for, our, for our second game. Um, obviously for us, it's a lot about ourselves right now, um, figuring out things. We've got obviously Gorge back for um, 12 years or whatever it was last time we played, coach played together. Um, and a bit of a new group. We, we got a lot of guys that um, are new into the group, obviously with, with Matisse and stuff, guys that um, haven't played with our core group for a while. So... Um, a lot of this right now is about us focusing on ourselves and, and playing the the way we want to play um, defensively, doing what we want to do defensively. And obviously, as this goes on, we'll we'll get tighter with our package on on both ends of the floor. But um, obviously, a, a good start the, the first couple of games. But I, I still um, and knowing Gorge, there will still be things we'll watch on film and and things to get better. Um, but a, a good start for these first couple of games. Yeah, like uh, Joe said, nice, nice win for us. I mean, it, it's it's uh, they're a, a world power, and uh, as but the big picture um, is it, it is about us right now, and we've got seven new players and a brand new coaching staff. So, for in a lot of ways, this isn't a, a four year build. It's uh, a, a short window here in which we got to get better and we got to learn. And uh, I thought tonight was great for us in that aspect. We we figured some things out and played much better in the second half than we did in the first half and uh, moved the ball better, got better shots and defensively um, uh, figured things out. So 
um, really enjoying the process with, with this group. It's an interesting um, deal of being away for 12 years and coming back and, and getting into this little thing with them, um, this little window into the game. So this is just so important for us because it's really all we've got and uh, to play two quality teams like we did and uh, winning's one thing, but the process is another. And, and uh, we got better from the last game and we got better in the second half and we're starting to figure things out and uh, got some nice new pieces to the team. That's obvious uh, in the last two games. A question for each of you, if I may. Coach, uh, Tim Reynolds with the Associated Press. Um, we saw Aaron back on the bench, obviously. Did you get any sort of preliminary report on? He's fine. Yeah, we're, we're, we're feeling. Dr. Ingalls says he's fine. Yeah, we're, we're, we're feeling good about him. Yeah, that it just just a, a temporary situation. So he'll be good. And and question for Dr. Ingalls. Uh, the <laughs> It is just an exhibition. It's a friendly. We get it. You you beat them a couple of years ago in Australia, but what does it mean, big picture, to beat even in a friendly to beat a team with USA across its chest? Thank you. Um, I mean, it's probably not the answer you're going to be looking for, but uh, we we walked into this game tonight expecting to win. We, we're not we're not here to 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 play these games and and not saying anyone's going to lose, but like we, I, I think. Maybe not in our everyone that's not in our locker room, but the people around our team and our locker room, we've been building and preparing this 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 team and this um, and basketball straight for, for a long time for these moments. Um, like I said, we were twelve years ago started um, slowly, been getting better and better over these last few campaigns, and then obviously with the last couple finishing fourth. Um, I mean, we're, we're right there and obviously we've, we've proved it in the past that we, we can compete and, and match it with anybody. Um, so obviously it's nice to win and obviously, I, I mean, no, um, disrespect or anything to that. They're, they're a hell of a team. Obviously the, the guys they've got on their, their roster, um, and Pop standing up there is always, um, is always nice to see, but, um, well, we came in here expecting to win the game and that's what we did. And Again, we'll, we'll go away now, and there's definitely things we need to work on. Um, again, we've only played two games with, with a lot of new pieces, new coaching staff. Um, we've got another one tomorrow, so we'll, we'll go rest up and watch some film. But um, honestly, any win at this point is, is nice, and, and we take good things from it. We'll take bad things from it, and um, we're, we're going to come out the same tomorrow and, and try and beat Nigeria tomorrow. Joe Varden from The Athletic. Good to see you, Joe. Um, I have a couple follow-ups and then one other one. Um, I don't want to ruin a great quote that you just had by asking you to, to delve deeper, but you said you walked in tonight expecting to beat Team USA. When do you think that changed for the world? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't remember the uh, exact date. Um, uh, like I said, I think the process of what we've been doing, I, I remember – I mean, Gorge knows when we were 2008, I think we had one NBA player. I think Bogut was the only um, NBA player we had in our roster. A lot of European guys were playing in Europe and guys playing in Australia. Over the course of that 12 years, I mean, you look at our roster now, we could easily add a couple more NBA players if they were available. Um, but we've still got a – like, it is completely flipped. We've got one or two NBA guys, a couple guys in Europe. And um, I think the world has realized the quality of Australian basketballers. Um, obviously, Bogut being number one pick, Ben being a number one pick, Dante being the fifth pick, Paddy and what he's done. Um, we've, we've built this thing. And the confidence comes with that. I think you, you get to – we played USA in the quarterfinal 2008. I remember Gorge threw me in for a couple minutes at the end. Um 
and it was like a, a, an intimidating, more of a nervous feeling where, like I said, we, we walk into these games the last however long, few years, and not just Team USA, you can put any team in front of us and, and we expect to win the game. So um, that's been built over years and years of hard work. Like I said, I think Paddy and I were the only two that were with Gorge back then, but that's been built over this process since 2008. Um, and obviously, like I said, we're in a position now where you know, whoever we face, whatever time it is, whatever point of the, the tournament or year it is, we feel like we're going to win the game. And then uh, for Coach, the follow-up, um, what was Aaron's injury? I think he banged knees. I think it was a bruise situation, you know, just, just, just hit knees and real sore. So at this stage, didn't, didn't want to risk it. Didn't want to risk it, you know, a bit, not a twist or a turn or ligaments, not that kind of thing. Just, just a bang there, a bruise. Okay. And then the, um, the new one for, for either of you, um, you out rebounding them tonight. That's two games in a row that they've, you know, been out rebounding fairly handily. And then you also scored 44 points in the paint to their 24, 22. What makes them vulnerable in the interior? Well, um, on, on my side of it, uh, we talked a lot about, um, I, I thought they put tremendous pressure on and they did a lot of switching in the second half. When you talk, they weren't um, dump-ins with a guy's back to the basket and backing a guy down. And we didn't play that way. We spread the court. And instead of going to early on balls and, and, and trying to post a mismatch in the second half, we moved the ball and cut. And it's something that they've been tremendous at at the last Worlds and the last Olympics. And they got back to it. And guys like Tybal and Dante Smith are pretty Dante. <laughs> Dante Exum are, are long bodies. And we won a championship there. with Dante Smith in 2008 too. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is when you say post stuff, they were cuts. And, uh, you know, and they were switching. And I think we, we, we got most of those interior things off slips from switches. All right. There's a portion of the postgame comments from Ingalls and the Australian coach, Brian Gorgian. So the U.S., time to uh, bounce back after an 0-2 start here in the tune-up games. And for Australia, that's going to be a really, really encouraging victory. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More in a moment. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, it's time to talk NBA Finals and Jazz offseason moves with Sean Devaney. He is the NBA editor for Heavy.com. He's been on the show many times. And he and Steve Cleveland coming up in the next segment really need to answer the question. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 40 points a game. The Suns are going to find him unstoppable for the rest of the series, and he is going to carry Milwaukee to the NBA title. Or Milwaukee just played their best game. There's a ton of emotion being at home for the first time, but the Suns will get back to doing what they're doing. Booker's not going forward for 13 again, and the Suns are going to win this series in five. Those are two pretty 
plausible storylines, both of which we've seen before, right? The best player carries the team to a championship. Or the team that isn't good enough does manage to win that first playoff game at home. There's actually a lot of examples of that in Jazz history where they were overmatched. Uh, Kobe and Gasol's Lakers, I remember a couple series there, and the Jazz were able to get a game. Uh, and the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer team did the same thing, getting a game against the Spurs in the conference finals. So we've seen that a lot. So plenty to talk about there. Also, what are the Jazz going to do with Mike Conley in the offseason? Not so much that, but what is a market going to do with Mike Conley? Because that sets the bar for where the Jazz have to go to re-sign him. Where is the market going? I've always thought he's worth $15 million a year, but I always underprice this. I mean, just I routinely underprice free agents. Kevin O'Connor said it a long time ago. It hasn't changed. You got to overpay to get him, even to keep your own guys. So as soon as I think 15, I immediately went, yeah, this, that means it's probably really 20. So Sean will get into his thoughts on where the market is going for uh, Mike. And you know, the number of years is a huge factor too. So we'll get to all of that right now. Here's Sean with PKNI on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Sean, good morning. Good morning to you. So Giannis goes for 40 in back-to-back games, but the Bucks only win one of them. Are the Suns in trouble because the best player, often his team wins a series and Giannis is the best player and the Suns have no answer? Or yeah, the Bucks got one at home, but the Suns will win game four and then finish it off at home, no problem. Which one seems more likely to you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I do think that I've seen a lot of good things for the Bucks. I, I, I do think that overall... Phoenix is the better team, but I think what what Milwaukee does is they win a lot of the the, the categories in the margins, and when they do that, uh, that's that's where their advantage is. You know, they can be a much more physical team, they're a much bigger team. Um, I think you really saw it in, in in offensive rebounding and second chance points. It was twenty to two last night, uh, and that's kind of a carryover from from game two. You know, it was twenty three nineteen. Milwaukee in, in second chance points, fast break points. Milwaukee won that points in the paint. Uh, Milwaukee won that. Those are the that's that's where Milwaukee's got to win. They've got to win those categories. They got to win them significantly to have a chance. Uh, that does not leave much more much margin forever. So I, I, I still think you have to have the the Suns as the favorites in this series. Uh, they're the better team. They're a deeper team. Uh, but, you know, when Milwaukee can be physical and, and, and play the way they did uh, last night, they've, they've at least got a chance in this thing. So your statement now, you've made that twice, they're the better team. Are you going as the number one reason deeper or are this, is there something else? Yeah, I think deeper. I think they're a better shooting team, uh, and and uh, you know as we saw last night, it's it's when 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 you live by the uh, uh, the perimeter shot, you die by the perimeter shot, and and that happened with Phoenix. But I think that that overall they are a better shooting team. Uh, they have sort of more reliable offense uh, with with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and some of their their role players, uh, whether it's Aiton Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson. You, you know they they have a number of ways that they can attack you where. Uh, I don't think Milwaukee has that same level of depth. So, yeah, you know, Giannis is the best player in this series, and, and, and generally that works out uh, in, in, in that team's favor. Uh, but I just think that the, the, the depth, the way that Phoenix can come at you with a, no, with a number of different scores, I think that gives them the advantage here. Are the Bucks going to win a game in this series because Chris Middleton goes off for 34 or something like that? 
Yeah, that's always a wild card. He is capable of that. He's done it in every series that they've been in to this point. So, uh, yeah, there's probably a, a Chris Middleton game coming. Um, you know, uh, obviously he and Drew Holiday weren't great uh, in the two games in Phoenix. Uh, that's part of the issue with uh, with Milwaukee is is I think that their their number two and number three options uh, at their best are very good, but 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 are a bit unreliable. Uh, but uh, when 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 Middleton is hot, and this has been true throughout his playoff career, you know he's capable of putting up uh, you know high thirties and, and really carrying you through a game. Monty Williams is going to have to come up with something different as far as guarding onto Tacumbo. Any ideas? Yeah, I mean, they got to try to keep him out of the paint. Uh, you know, I think that uh, w- w- what happened last night is something that we've seen before. Uh, if you go back to a game in February when they when these two teams played, uh, w- Williams tried to use uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, to guard uh, uh, to guard Giannis in that game, uh, and 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 Ayton wound up with five five. I mean, Antetokounmpo went right at him and 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 got him right in the foul trouble. That happened again last night. Um, and and you know that's that's something that Monty Williams is going to have to look at because that really hurts them offensively. Aiden's been so important to what they do on the offensive end. So uh, yeah, you know I think that that taking Aiden, uh, finding a different option, you know whether it's Jay Crowder is is, is the most obvious one. Uh, Bridges, I think you got to use some other guys on on uh, on Giannis. You can't afford to have Aiden, um, you know, giving up the size that he giving up the uh, uh, the athleticism at least. Uh, that he does on the defensive end, and then getting into foul trouble and taking himself out of out of what he does offensively, that just hurts you on too many fronts. So uh, I think that's probably the big uh, the big adjustment they've got to make. They've got to go smaller on Giannis, which is a risk in itself. But you just can't afford to have Aiden in that kind of foul trouble. Uh, you know, he was really rolling at the beginning of the game. Uh, once he got into foul trouble, that really changed uh, uh, the dynamics of that game. So Budenholz is taking a lot of heat, a lot of criticism. He's not making adjustments. He's on thin ice. It seems kind of overblown to me. It seems like the team that wins the 50-50 balls, the hustle plays, the team that has more offensive rebounds, that's the team that's winning. And lots of coaches can tell you to go get an offensive rebound. Is he taking too much heat or no? Yeah, I mean, you guys know how it goes, especially these days uh, uh, with uh, with social media and stuff. It's like... A narrative starts and then it snowballs and everybody jumps on and says the same thing and it becomes the identity of, you know, whoever's the subject of that narrative, right? And and so Budenholzer, you know, got this reputation that somebody doesn't make adjustments and it's, it, he is slow to make adjustments. There's no question. He trusts his system a lot more than, than other coaches. Uh, but there are plenty of other coaches who don't make adjustments and you can't make 15 adjustments during a game. I mean, you just can't coach that way. Uh, so, you know, he, he he goes through a game and he makes a couple adjustments. Uh, uh, he did that in game one and game two. Uh, and, 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 you know, just like every coach does. So, yeah, absolutely. That gets blown way out of proportion. It's one of those things that became a story uh, around him uh, and, and just got repeated so much that, that uh, uh, you know, people just start repeating it over and over. And it becomes uh, a much bigger part of, of uh, how he's identified than, than really what he deserves. In terms of money and length of contract, as far as years go, what do you think Conley's going to get? 
it's going to be three years. Somebody will give him three years. Uh, so that's that's part. You know, at his age and with his injury history, that's that's a challenge uh, for for Utah. But you know, it, whether it's the Knicks or or Heat, somebody's going to give him three years. I would think in the twenty million dollar range. So I think we're probably looking at at three years, sixty. Uh, probably is about the minimum, uh, and, and you know it might go a little bit higher than that, uh, just because there isn't a whole lot uh, out there in the free agent market. You've got a lot of teams uh, who are who have some money and are eager to turn a corner, like Miami and, and, and New York teams like that. Um, so I, I think around three years and and sixty, maybe even as high as uh, three years and and and, and about uh, uh, seventy or so. That's the three and seventy is probably a safer bet, but I think minimum is going to be three years and about sixty million. So David Locke is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he comes on our show once a week, and he lives, eats, and breathes the NBA, and he thinks that as many as nine point guards could be changing teams here. Just a big old game of musical chairs. Is it going to be complete chaos and how much of these negotiations are shaped by people who want to make an early move, call their shot, and get out of the game quicker, not later, because they don't want to get caught holding the bag here when yeah, people start I mean, grabbing you know, teams? As I mean, look, they're not supposed to negotiate until uh, uh, I think it's August 1st. That's that's BS. Yeah, of course, there's plenty of agents talking to plenty of GMs. There's things being lined up uh, as we speak, and 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 things. Those are usually the things that 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 you and I won't hear about. Is is the things that are going on uh, that are really serious are the ones that everybody doesn't want to let out. So if 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 Kyle Lowry, for instance, the uh, point guard from from Toronto, already has something lined up with Miami, we're not going to hear about that. Uh, but there's no question that that would go a long way towards setting the market uh, uh, for, for other point guards and also limiting some options if you're a guy like Conley. So, yeah, a lot of it is going to be musical chairs and, and, and who's going to be aggressive enough uh, to, uh, to get their chair first and sort of, sort of set the, uh, uh, the, the tone for the rest of the game. And, and, and it's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, you do have younger guys like Alonzo Ball, for instance, uh, who, who's going to be a factor in this. Uh, but most of these guys are going to be better. Even Chris Paul, uh, you know, should he opt out of that forty million, which which most people think he will to get a longer deal, uh, you know, he's going to be involved in this as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to really come down to uh, you know who, who kind of sets that market first, uh, and 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 what's that? What's going to be the ripple effect uh, on other players? And how about other positions too beyond the point guard? Do you expect a lot of movement and teams taking players and players exchanging and moving? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 not a huge year in free agency. I think there are some good names, a guy like Demar Derozan, for instance, uh, but you know, not necessarily somebody who's uh, you know, a franchise player. So, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a possibility. He's the biggest name. Uh, you know, ninety nine percent of uh, uh, of all executives will tell you he's going back to the Clippers. Um, but uh, you know, certainly he's he's going to at least fill out the market. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a real chance for some movement at the draft. This is a good draft. There's a lot of uh, a lot of teams that have multiple picks. The Knicks have multiple picks, for instance. They'd like to move up. Uh, so I think around the draft, uh, July 29th, I think we'll see uh, uh, a fair amount of movement. Cleveland really wants to do something. They want to get out of uh, Kevin Love's contract, and uh, and uh, Colin Sexton is uh, uh, is part of a potential package there. Uh, 
Uh, we've all heard the Ben Simmons rumors, uh, so that that's that's going to be a possibility. Um, of course, Damian Lillard. We'll see what happens there. You know, so there are some big names I think on the trade market, uh, and I think the draft will be a pretty good time to watch as far as that goes. But free agency, I, I don't expect to be a huge deal, uh, just because there there really aren't that many great players out there. So the Suns have gone from a perennial lottery team to the NBA Finals. Is there anyone poised to make that jump? And and how do you count the Warriors when you assess that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't really count the Warriors. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, Steph Curry on your team and 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 Clay Thompson's just been hurt, I don't know that they really, uh, you know, that they really count uh, in terms of that. You know, uh, I, I don't think there's any teams that are that are you know necessarily been to the lottery as many times as the Suns are ready to turn it around. Um, I think Sacramento has some possibilities. Uh, you, you know, I think I think Minnesota is a team that. Yeah, man, they've just gone and gotten so many young guys because they keep getting uh, lottery picks that, uh, uh, you know, you got to think eventually it's either going to click or they're going to have to make a trade. You know, you can't just keep, you know, running through all this stuff uh, and, and, and not have not, not have some success uh, without, you know, Carl Anthony Towns or, or somebody else being put on the block. So, uh, you know, Minnesota is a possibility there. They're kind of uh, uh, at a point where they've got to either make a change or, uh, or, or show some serious improvement. Uh, you know, maybe Charlotte. Yeah, if, Lamel- if LaMelo Ball can, can stay healthy, he really showed uh, a lot of promise uh, this year. So, you know, Charlotte would be a possibility as well. But I, 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 wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't put the mortgage on that, that's for sure. You're anticipating anybody making blockbuster moves to get move up in the draft on draft night? Yeah, you know, I, I think there'll be some teams trying. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, when you have a guy like Cade Cunningham at the top of the uh, draft, uh, as, as most presume he is, uh, there's a lot of teams that would really like to be able to move up there. And, and Detroit is, is uh, just at the start of its rebuild. So if it has the chance to get uh, multiple uh, m- multiple assets, uh, then I think the Pistons would at least listen uh, uh, to trade possibility. I think they'll, they'll take Cade Cunningham uh, in the end. But I think they're going to listen. So, yeah, I do think there's some possibilities. There's, there's, there's basically four guys, maybe five, uh, depending on how you count uh, Jonathan Kaminga from the G League. Um, you know, Evan Mobley is in there and, and, and Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green. Uh, so you've got basically five guys. So you've got a lot of teams really looking to get into that top five because those are the ones who have the potential uh, to, be, uh, to, to be real franchise changers. Once you get six, seven, eight, you still have some very, very good players. Players available, uh, but you know a little bit more of a gamble, a little bit more of a beauty in the eye of the beholder. So, uh, yeah, there's there's no question that uh, that teams, especially those teams like I mentioned, the Knicks uh, with multiple picks, are are really looking to to, to package and move up uh, to, to possibly get uh, a potential star. Damian Lillard went to Weber State. Ogden's about 45-minute drive north of Salt Lake City. There are plenty of Lillard fans. Is he staying put in Portland? You know, I, I think as long as Neil O'Shea stays there, he's going to stay put. Uh, I don't think I don't think O'Shea wants to be the guy who traded Damian Lillard. I think 
you know, he's still looking at it as a challenge to, you know, find a way to improve this team and, and, and get it better. You know, maybe there's a, that there's a CJ McCollum trade, uh, that, uh, that, that he'd be willing to make. I just don't think that he wants to be the one uh, who traded Damian Lillard. If they make a change in the front office, and that's still a possibility. I mean, you know, this, this, the last few weeks have been, uh, you know, a bit of a dumpster fire in Portland and, and he could ultimately pay a price for that. Um, you know, if that happens, then I think there's a chance that, that you'd see Damian Lillard, you know, that them really looking at serious Damian Lillard talks. Uh, but Lillard has not gone to the team and said, trade me. Uh, so until that happens and until Neil O'Shea is gone, then I think, uh, I think Lillard stays put. Uh, but I would also say that there's a real chance that, that O'Shea does get fired, uh, you know, next month, maybe after the draft. Uh, and there's a real chance that, that sometime, somewhere along the line, maybe after the Olympics, Lillard goes to the team and says, um, and, and to trade me. None of that stuff's happened yet, though, so I'd say no, uh, but, but both of those are real possibilities. Well, Sean, it's going to be an interesting offseason. We appreciate you coming on for a few minutes and talking about it with us. Okay, thanks for having me, guys. There's Sean with PK and I. Man, Conley, three years, $70 million. It seems high, but I always underestimate this stuff. This is probably spot on. Now, as far as the NBA Finals and where is this going? Same set of questions for Steve Cleveland coming up. Our basketball insider, as far as the Bucks have figured this out or they just got the one game you get, even if you're overmatched. And we'll talk with Steve about that next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right. Tonight, we got the baseball all-star game, which is why we don't have the NBA Finals. Normally, the Finals would be on a Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday schedule. These Finals are getting really spread out. I mean, really spread out. Game four is tomorrow, and game five isn't until Saturday. Yikes. I guess they're going to avoid Friday because it's a... One, of, one if not the lowest rated night of the week as far as people watching TV. All right, uh, here's Steve Cleveland talking all things NBA Finals with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Steve, we got a question up on our Facebook page, and a lot of people are weighing in on this. The Bucks blasting Phoenix in Game 3. Is this the beginning of the end for the Suns? Have the Bucks figured him out, and Giannis has back-to-back 40-point games, and he's unstoppable? And, hey, the team with the best player often wins playoff series, and he's the best player. Or, hey, Phoenix gave one a lot of way. There's a lot of emotion in the building, but they'll win Game 4, go home and close it out in the desert in Game 5 in front of their home fans and have a big old party in Arizona. Which way are you leaning right now? I, you know, just watching that game and seeing how desperate <laughs> the Bucks played and collectively as a group, you saw kind of what their potential was. We haven't seen that look in, in, you know, obviously in the first two games at the Suns. There's a lot of things, a lot of good things that the Bucks did that would uh, indicate that they have the capacity and capability of taking this to seven games. I I am more of the opinion that uh, 
this thing goes up. And that's just on one game. But if you were to ask me after the next day, after watching that game, and look at how and the things that they did, the adjustments that the Bucks made, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see this thing being done at five, personally. I, I, I think it's more likely six or seven. Now, the Bucks have not played well in Phoenix. I mean, I say that, but game one, actually, they, they shot 45% from the field and 44% from uh, uh, the three-point line. So not like they haven't shot well there in game one. They had, they had opportunities. Man, they were dominant last night. You, and, and Giannis is Giannis, and uh, the fact that he's now had multiple 40-point games, but it just seemed to me that Holiday and Middleton were more comfortable at home uh, Portis came off the bench and gave them good minutes. Uh, they, they just they just seemed to have a a next level, a next gear in that game, and especially closing out games uh, at the end of quarters. I mean, they just took over, and that's what the Suns have been really good about. They go on runs in a game that may be a four or five point game, and they go on an eight zero run or a nine zero run to get some, you know to kind of get that separation. But it was. Milwaukee, who went on, a, I think, a 40-9 to nine run, closing out the second and third quarters, where even when the Suns would come back, the Bucks always had an answer. And uh, so, you know, and, 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 and I think when you start looking at the Suns, Crowder has been amazing, to be honest with you. And, and uh, he's been such an inspiration to the Suns. Had another big game. But I don't know how Bridges takes four shots. Uh, obviously, you got to give the Bucks some credit. Uh, Paul is always going to play well. Booker did not play well, so it's not often. Booker hasn't had any many off games, but certainly the not getting the scoring from Booker and Bridges. But a lot of it, you got to give credit to the Bucks. I mean, that, they just played with an intensity that they have not played with. And you're right, the emotions of being at home—they um, look really good, and uh, and Giannis looked really good, and confidence is everything, and. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I, I think just the main thing is the Bucks just played harder. They played tougher. Uh, Twenty to two in second chance points. Uh, Aiton got in foul trouble, which they the Suns talked about. Uh, you know, being able to have enough bodies to take care of Giannis. But when Aiton's in foul trouble, they're a different team. One of the things that I liked in the box score is Antetokounmpo 0 for 2. What I mean by that is from 3 because it seems like it's a wasted possession relative to his ability to shoot it from distance and also the fact that he's virtually unstoppable down low. I think he was like 12 for 12 or something like that in the restricted area. So I don't want to see this guy pull up for 3 at all from a coaching standpoint. Where do you stand? I completely agree. I mean, hey, if they're up 15 or 20 and there's four minutes left in the game, go ahead and take one. Yeah. Otherwise, don't shoot it. And uh, one, one thing that's always a little curious to me is that, I mean, he has a lot of ways to get into the post. He can just dribble and back them down. But I'm surprised that they don't do a few things with some down screens and cross screens and, doing, and getting some mismatches inside. You know, take and, and I, I haven't. They haven't doubled a lot, but but what what would happen if you you know you all of a sudden uh, Middleton or Drew Holiday or who, whomever uh, Connaughton maybe 
sets a little cross screen, down screens, get him, get him a catch right there where he's at the rim. I know they'll pack it in and do things, but it just doesn't seem like there's anything being done to get him in positions. I mean, he gets himself in that position and is pretty effective, but why not get some matchup situations and, and give him as many opportunities to catch that thing close to the basket? And I, and I know, I know this is not this is a league where we don't do a whole lot with bigs and in terms of setting screens or uh, running little quick hitters to, to get them the ball inside. Then, and then especially when their their guards aren't shooting well, they're struggling like they did in games one and two at times. Uh, you get wide open looks. You just get wide open looks because two people have to always guard Giannis down low. Now, I think what they're doing works. And I, and I think when he can push it in transition and get deep and score or find guys, but I do, I do believe that there are opportunities out of dead balls and timeouts where they, they can get those kind of opportunities and get wide open threes when they've got two or three guys on them. So, no, I cannot stand him shooting threes. And, and there may be a time five years from now where he can do that. And he, you know, he'll shoot them sometimes when the game, there's separation in a game, but he cannot shoot that ball. That hurts that team. Miss or make, it hurts the team. And what happens when he misses two is it starts long, quick breaks. The, ball, the rebounds are long. Boom, they're in transition. They, they, don't, they can't get back defensively in, in, in a situation like that. So, no, no threes for Giannis. Let's win a championship with the things that got you there. And the three ball is not. You know, and if Middleton and Holiday – are solid, and Giannis is solid, this goes seven games. And I don't see any reason why they won't. They're going to play another game at home. They don't have a great bench, but Connaughton, Portis, or I think Connaughton might be the starter. I can't remember. But uh, having Portis come off the bench and give them some minutes is good well. So it's time to come back. Don't, don't play better. But I still believe that uh, I, don't, I don't think Suns going to beat him in Milwaukee. So Aiton's been uh, really good, really efficient all through the playoffs. They went at him and got him in foul trouble. It seems like that should always be a strategy, get that guy off the floor if possible. But a double down on it now that Saric is out, should Aiton just expect a steady diet of Antetokounmpo trying to find him and go right at him? I mean, that's what you do. I mean, I cannot see them not doing that. They'll make some adjustments. You know, they're, they're well coached. But that's how valuable he is. I mean, when, the, when your opponent's best player is seven foot tall and he scores 90% of his points a foot or two feet from the rim, um, yeah, you're going to have to do some things to help. And, and I don't know a lot about the subs and the bigs for some. I mean, obviously, Liz and Zark, that hurts a lot. Who else that they have that can help? But they have to be sensitive to that. And, you know, and sometimes you just got to let them score. I mean, you just can't foul them stupidly and put yourself in a position where you're not on the floor because they need Aiton on the floor. That pick-and-roll stuff that they do throughout the game gives an advantage and puts Booker and Paul in situations where they can hit the mid-range shot. People got to help. And so there's always space for those two. They didn't have as much space last night when Aiton wasn't on the floor. They don't have somebody that replaces him in in that setting. Booker obviously didn't make buckets. Uh, you concerned? Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't think. You know, I've watched him play so much now, and I've never hardly, I never hardly ever watched him play prior to this playoff, these playoffs. And uh, but I, I would, I was, if I was a Suns coach, 
you know, I, I, I would approach this thing that they know they've had games where they didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot about it. I wouldn't talk a lot about it. You, you know what you can do, what you're capable of. Uh, it's not very often that, you know, he's one for seven from the three-point line. But that being said, depending on who's guarding him, and, and, you know, when he can create all of that space and when they can get it inside, outside, and have space, he just didn't have a lot of space. Most of his shots were contested. There were a few open. But you're playing in a different arena, in a different environment. And let, let's not forget, he's, he's played a number of playoff games now and been spectacular. But every one of these games is, a, is different and unique in itself. And the Bucks have size and girth, and, and they, they just played with an intensity that the Suns hadn't seen. You know, the Suns controlled everything at home. They had the flow. They had the transition. They were comfortable. Now they're uncomfortable. And for them to win an NBA championship, which I believe they can, I don't know if they will, but I do. They're very much in a position to win this thing. Having the home court advantage, obviously, they play great at home. But the, every game the Bucks win, they win tonight. They're going to go into Phoenix knowing that they can win. You know, they have more confidence. They're got their foot, you know, the pedal, and they're pushing it and pushing it. Every time the Bucks kind of take over in a quarter or take over in a game like this, it gives them more confidence, and the Suns have more questions. The Suns have the advantage because they've played great at home. But uh, the Bucks can take that away from them. They win the second game. Uh, they win the second game. It's going to go seven games. And, and the Suns are going to be tough to beat in a seven-game series at home. But we're at the point now where they're expected to win at home. They, they've done that. They've shown that. They've had an outstanding year in terms of the second-best record in the league. But there'll be pressure. For the first, if they get thing go seven, the pressure will be on the Suns. So I'm always amazed at games when people are really intense and both teams really dialed in, how sometimes guys still just shut off for a couple minutes. And as a coach, it's just got to drive you nuts. The play that jumped out at me was, well, it ended with a fantastic dunk by Cam Johnson going up over P.J. Tucker and posterizing him. But it started because he's inbounding the ball in the backcourt, which I guess that is the time to relax. The ball's 65 or 70 feet away from the hoop. But he throws it in, and he throws it back towards his own hoop. So now the ball's 75 or 80 feet from the hoop. And two defenders walk up like they're going to trap. They just throw the ball right back to Cam, and he dribbles right down the court, jumps over Tucker and dunks. And everyone's looking at Tucker getting posterized, and I get that. But I'm still looking at two guys in the backcourt, and guys... What were you doing? You you hinted it at a double team. You didn't commit to it. That you made it pretty easy for him. What what were you thinking? How many times when you were coaching? And I know it's college kids, not pros. But you look at him and say, "What were you thinking?" <laughs> yeah, I said that a lot of times. <laughs> and they probably said that to me a lot of times. They're probably wondering, "What what do you think, coach?" Uh, no, those are inexcusable. Not not at this level, and in this, these circumstances. I mean, you, you've got to get yourself between the ball and the basket and be there. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. The game the game is so quick, and, and you have to have the physical got physicality, but you have to have the mental capacity and toughness and understanding that these things can't happen. And, and they do. Things happen, and, and you, you just kind of shake your head because that, that should have never happened. I mean, that's fine. He comes down and gets a dunk, but there better be two or three people back. And, and if, if you're the game plan for the Phoenix Suns, you're playing them, 
it's it's three back, it's four back. You know, only one guy goes to the boards. I don't care if, time, if it's a timeout, it's a dead ball. Everybody's back, and, and I can't. They've been, you know, in, in Phoenix. Phoenix got transition baskets. They're not getting a lot of time. The Bucks did a good job of getting people back and creating a wall and doing the things they could and didn't give up a lot of easy threes. There were some open threes they just missed because, hey, they're on the road. They're, they're not comfortable at home. But those things can lose games. It, you, know, you forget about that, but if it's a one- or a two-point game, you think about all the little mistakes that are made in a game where someone just kind of didn't hustle, uh, didn't execute a game plan. It seemed like incidental, well, no big deal, just one thing. But it's just those little things. A lot of times games are lost back in the second and third quarter when momentum takes place. And we focus so much on what happened on the last 30 seconds of the game, then we realize, let's go back and look at where all that slippage was. Four times we didn't get back in transition. Three times we came back and didn't know who we were guarding. That kind of slippage in a, in a basketball game, you can lose games in the second and third quarter. It's just the announcers don't talk so much about it unless it's after the game. But you, you watch a game, and most fans go, oh, you know, they, they, they didn't do real well in the last minute. Well, they didn't lose this game or win this game in the last minute. They won or lost it because they did these things in the second quarter and in the third quarter. And that's why you have assistant coaches. That's why you have people watching uh, at, all, at all different perspectives. And those things need to be addressed. And because those are the things you oftentimes these games aren't lost at the end of the game. When we're we build it up like it's all about the last two minutes, and it, sometimes it is, but you, you can't make those kind of mistakes at that level. And uh, that was obvious. Well, Steve, we appreciate a little time to talk uh, finals, and uh, they, they don't play again until Wednesday, and then they don't play again until Saturday. So, Sunday. Is it Saturday? Yeah, it's Saturday. You're going to do it yourself. Uh, talk, talk to you. Yeah, talk to you. PK's got some golf stories. You know, so. There you go. We'll get I some college football lists. We talked to Dave Rose yeah. over the weekend. That was fun. Did you? Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, uh, Tim Lacombe and I and, and Dave had lunch together for a couple hours, and uh, it was so much fun. And, and my, I have a, my son Skyler and Brock Richner, Dave's son-in-law, are our best friends, and they just moved back to Utah. So it's, it's been fun to reconnect and, and, and spend time with Dave. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was the best. I was in Utah for about 10 days. Did play quite a bit of golf as well. But being with Dave was a highlight. And, and he and I and Tim just kind of retold stories. And uh, it, it was fun to, be, fun to be together again and just kind of rehashed experiences that we had together so i'm glad you did. i'm glad you had him on we were at a concert with him believe it or not so okay, tim, how, how did that go tim mccombs band yeah, uh tim, tim i wanted I, me to stick around for two more days and I, and I wanted to and i and the first thing i asked him i said what so tell me the playlist you know and about two-thirds of the playlist uh, i was cool with and, and some of the stuff i didn't know but did, did it go well was it well attended yeah, he got the whole radio station. There. We were all down there, we and Dave was there, there and, and and Cheryl was there, and yeah. Dave's brother was there, and Tommy Connor was there, Chris Jones was there, so some basketball guys, all the guys from the radio station were there, and some other friends. It was it was fun. It was it was good to be there. I, I spoke to Dave for about fifteen minutes uh, before the show, and he wants to go out to lunch next time where I'm down there, and it was just it was good to reconnect, as you say. Yeah, no, it was. I. I yeah. I had I, we did a lot of things while we were there with our family and 
I've got a wife that's got a brother that's up at the Cancer Institute doing struggling through some of those things, which wasn't necessarily fun, but it was good to see him. It, it was a great trip, and but it, uh, it was highlighted by, uh, by being with Dave and Tim. And uh, I saw some of the video stuff, and it looked good. It looked like it was fun. And, uh, yeah, those are cool things when we can get together and just enjoy each other's company and, and reconnect. I mean, that, that's the best thing about our all your experience and our, my experiences is that the relationships with people. And uh, you know what? Uh, get away from the game and reconnect with people that have had great meaning in our lives. We don't do enough of that. We don't have time sometimes for that. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely my highlight. So it's great to be back in Utah. And it's about 115 here, so anything I can do to stay out of town here will be good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Steve, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. You bet, guys. See you. All right, there is Steve Cleveland. He joins us every Monday. We replay him for you every Tuesday morning here to get you up to speed on all things basketball with Steve. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. The U.S. playing Joe Ingles in Australia last night. Home run derby. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us.